0: Well, good morning again, brothers and sisters. Welcome to October. It seems that the colors of fall have officially come and are also in the process of officially departing. So our annual 12 days of autumn has kind of come and gone, just like the annual 12 days of spring earlier this year. Um, For our farming families, thankfully harvest seems to have been significantly more cooperative than it has been in the last little while. And in all things we continue to recognize that our God is good and his mercies do endure forever. So continuing on our trek through Hebrews this morning... Um, our passage is going to be Hebrews chapter 3 verses 1 through 6, if you want to kind of get your thumb in there. In our last foray into Hebrews, we looked at chapter 2 verses 10 through 18. In that passage, we were reminded of Christ's perfect humanity. We explored that it was perfectly in step with the character of our God that the Son would condescend and empty himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that was totally in step with the character of our God. Today we have the opportunity to acknowledge that his condescension in the incarnation makes his magnificence in the glorification that much more incredible. Upon Him should our eyes remain fixed at all times and in all things. That being said, would you come with me to the Lord in prayer. Lord, as we worship together this morning in song and in the reading of the Word and in prayer and in the preaching of the Word, Lord, God, we pray that our eyes would remain fixed upon Christ. But our eyes would remain fixed upon the cornerstone of our faith and that nothing would wrench our attention or distract us from that. Lord, we commit this service to you this morning and I ask that my words would adequately explain yours. That you would cause fertile ground to be opened in the hearts of those who would hear this both here in our building and online as well, Lord. And God, we trust that we may plant the seed, but it is you in whom we trust to do the work of sprouting the seed and growing it, Lord. And Lord, that your gospel may grow in the hearts and the lives of Elk Point Baptist Church. Lord, we thank you for these things and pray them in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we read our passage this morning, um, we'll include the last two verses of chapter 2 for some context. So would you please read with me Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 through to 3, verse 6. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest, in the service of God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who is faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. This is God's word. I absolutely love the greeting, the address at the beginning of our passage. Therefore, holy brothers. In this instance, brothers can be, equally applied to both men and women, holy brethren. Because Christ was made like us, his people, and because we have been sanctified by Christ's high priestly work, we are addressed as holy brothers. And in this, we were made members of the household and family of God. We are a set-apart holy brethren Members of one holy family, the saints of God, the Bride of Christ. And what is our purpose in this set-apartness? We're not set apart for no reason. We aren't akin to those dishes you were never allowed to touch in that ornate china cabinet. Set apart just for the sake of it. We are set apart because we share in a heavenly calling, called first to an enduring faith and ultimately called to join our God and High Priest in eternity. I think a mistake that the church has made in the past is to treat the Christian hope like grandma's fine china. We guard and we cloister and we protect and we bubble wrap the gospel to keep it safe. I know that in my family, the fine china only came out on the big holidays, Christmas and Easter for sure. Thanksgiving was kind of an iffy maybe, well, do we have guests or are we making like a fancy Thanksgiving meal or kind of keeping it low key? But these items were heirlooms handed down through my family and were as we as children were reminded every time we used them, they were terribly expensive to replace, so don't drop them. In his letters to Timothy, the Apostle Paul closed First Timothy and opened Second Timothy with an appeal to Timothy to guard the good deposit which had been entrusted to him. In 1 Timothy six twenty to 21 Paul warns Timothy, saying, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and the contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Then in 2 Timothy 1, verses 12 to 14, he says again, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So, to protect and to guard the faith is absolutely necessary. We have it in black and white in the Word. But there are right and wrong ways to guard it. Do we cloister it and bubble wrap it and keep it to ourselves and only use it when we are sure that it'll be just, just safe and just right and in the right situation, no. Immediately preceding these calls to guard the faith, Timothy is told, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses." I charge you in the presence of God to keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then immediately following the second call to guard the good deposit entrusted to him, Paul tells Timothy this, My child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We are to fight the good fight of the faith. We are to share in suffering as good soldiers of Jesus Christ. The call to guard The faith is not a defensive bubble wrapping, hide it away, keep it in the china cabinet where the kids can't get to it, guarding. It is an offensive, aggressive, teach it, live it, ingrain it in your whole being, propagate it and root out and burn all hints of impurity and false teaching. That is the type of guarding that we are to do of our faith. Our guarding is not just holding it to ourselves and keeping it unsullied from the world. It is taking it into the world and preaching it faithfully and constantly so that it doesn't matter if I were taken out of this world tomorrow, I would know that the good doctrine that I have been faithful in propagating would continue. That is the heavenly calling that we share in as the household of Christ. And how do we accomplish this? What keeps us on track as we attempt to share this faith? It is none other than the one who initiates and perfects our faith in the first place. Are you among the brethren? Do you share in the heavenly calling of the saints? Then consider Christ. Such a simple command, such an easy thing to just gloss over. Well, consider Christ. We are to look on, observe, behold, and study our Lord Jesus Christ. For he is the apostle and the high priest of our confession. Throughout scripture, the apostle's job was to represent God before men. And the high priest's job was to represent Man before God. And Christ does both. I want you to remember that the book of Hebrews was being written to a group of Hebrew believers in the early years of the Christian faith. These believers would have been under tremendous pressure from all sides. Pressure either to renounce God entirely in favor of the pagan gods that would have surrounded them, or to renounce Christ in favor of the Jewish community's faulty understanding of the God of the Old Testament and their misidentification of the Messiah. In particular, this pressure from the Judaizers, as they've been called, was terribly intense. And this is where our passage really drives home. For the Jewish people, Moses was top dog in every respect. He was both high priest and apostle. While Aaron was the official high priest, it was Moses who most directly was the middleman between God and man, and man and God. When God was ready to destroy the Israelites and make a new nation from Moses' line after the whole golden calf incident, Aaron himself was embroiled in the whole situation. It was Moses who pled the case of Israel before God. In Exodus 32, Moses implored the Lord his God, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. We are told in Exodus 33 that the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. As an apostle, Moses representing God before people coming down from Mount Sinai face aglow bearing the tablets of testimony and regularly commanding them all that the Lord had spoken to him. Moses was the ultimate superstar of the Jewish faith. To his standard was everyone else compared. So much so that Our passage even goes so far as to say Moses was faithful in all God's house. Get it here. Our passage is not denigrating Moses. Moses is still and will always be one of the great patriarchs of the Lord. But even as high as he is, Christ is far greater. So that gives some framework to the For anyone who has a creative streak, whether in art or construction or inventing or whatever it might be, take your pick as far as areas of interest, but we can all recognize that there truly is no comparison between the created item and the creator of that thing. The creator can always create another one of their creations. But not so the other way around. Given the choice, no sane person would choose the golden egg over the goose that laid it. And to the Hebrew audience of this book, this comparison of Moses and Jesus to a house and a builder would have been approaching sacrilege and might have even tipped the scales there. But as believers both now and then, nothing can be placed above Christ. If we place anything before Christ, we are exchanging the created for the creator. Romans 1 says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. forget, my holy brothers and sisters, that the penalty for exchanging the created for the creator was and always will be death. Another great example is the example of Aaron and Miriam who spoke against Moses and God certainly did not take that lightly. Moses and or Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses and the Lord said hear my words if there is a prophet among you I the Lord make myself known to him in a vision I speak with him in a dream not so with my servant Moses He is faithful in all my house with him I speak mouth to mouth clearly and not in riddles when and he beholds the form of the Lord Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? This was the warning against rejecting an apostle and a high priest that God had established in the person of Moses. Now imagine the greater seriousness of rejecting the one who is as far beyond Moses as a builder is beyond the house he built. That holy fear of rejecting Christ, the cornerstone of our faith, and neglecting the gospel... It is no small matter to reject the gospel. To look back at chapter 2 and verse 3 of Hebrews, we ask, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? And every time we come back to that first verse, we are to recognize we cannot escape. Now, Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken about later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are His house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses was a servant in God's house, which was the tabernacle and the people of Israel. In Exodus 29:45 to 46, God said, "I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God." And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. But what then is the house that Christ built and over whom he rules? The house that he has built is the holy brethren, the church. Indeed, we are told that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not our own, for we have been bought with a price. We individually are the dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, but more importantly, we, brothers and sisters, as a church, are his house. Our passage this morning found great connection with Ephesians chapter 2, which Jim read from, where the Ephesian church was told, Remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, remember that you at that time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and one, In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. The whole Old Testament sacrificial system saved no one. The laws and commands that God gave Moses, the rules and the holy days and the feasts that were so dearly loved by the Pharisees. Without Christ, they were of absolutely no value. It was only in God's divine forbearance that he passed over the former sins of those pre-Christ and Christ gave value to what otherwise was simply a list of unattainable goals. Every man, woman, and child of history, from the greatest, think the Old Testament saints, the apostles, the church fathers, straight down to the worst, most vile and wretched sinners of our world, are all united in a desperate need for the incarnate Son. Jew, Gentile, slave, free, male and female. In and through Christ, all who confess Jesus as Lord find themselves no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. And they are built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. That cornerstone is the one that gives direction and guidance to the entire building from there on out. We are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and are boasting in our hope. This seemingly inconspicuous close to verse 6 has caused no end of concern to those who have caught the kind of backhanded uh, warning contained therein. Yes, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope, we are his house. But what if our confidence falters? What if our boasting and our hope is silenced? What then? I shudder reading and studying this because I am just as much on the hook in this passage as the rest of humanity always has been. Who would have imagined that one of Jesus' twelve disciples, his closest friends, would end up not only abandoning the faith, but betraying the one that he had followed? And yet it was Judas who turned Christ over to be crucified. What about Paul's companion, Demas, who Paul says deserted him and left for Thessalonica? If we have Judas and Demas who both were under the influence of Christ and one of the greatest apostles this world has ever known, what about us? We are saved by faith alone. But the test of our faith comes through our willingness to persevere under difficulty and persecution. Those who do not persevere reveal by their actions that they never truly possess saving faith and never truly were saved. But remember, holy brethren, that the faith to persevere is itself a gift from God. This is the dichotomy that we struggle with in the Christian faith. We know that by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Quoted directly from Scripture. But then, at the same time, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so faith apart from works is dead. Surely God has saved his people. He alone has the power to bring the dead bones of our spiritual life back and to replace the heart of stone that beats within each member of humanity with one of flesh. But if we are indeed saved, we will hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. And how we do that takes us full circle in our passage this morning. We will consider Jesus the Apostle and High Priest of our confession. The great hymn of faith, the Heavenly Vision, which for most of us would be better known as Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, was written in 1918 by Helen Lemmel. And the refrain is known to believers worldwide, and it goes, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I would desire that every believer among us here and watching online would hold fast to the confidence that they find as they consider the author of their salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ that their eyes would remain turned upon Jesus and that the rest of the worldly concerns would grow strangely dim. And I would earnestly pray that anyone who hasn't joined the family of faith to consider Jesus. Really consider Him closely. Consider His incarnation as a man, His perfect sinless life his sinner's death on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, and his glorification to the right hand of God the Father. Consider Christ and repent of your sins and confess Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling Take hold of that calling. Do not cease to consider Christ. In every day, in every moment, may your eyes be turned toward Jesus. And as you consider Christ, boast in your hope wherever the Lord may take you so that in your boasting you will be guarding and defending and fighting for your faith by sharing it with all who would hear it. Now as Sherry and our worship team come to lead us in a closing song, I ask that you join with me in a word of prayer as we close. Heavenly Father, you have challenged us to consider Jesus. You have commanded us to meditate upon the person that is the author and perfecter of our faith, the perfect man and God the Son, both fully God and fully man. Lord, that each one here would be filled with the awe and the wonder that motivates our faith as we consider Christ. Lord, that we would be driven to our knees by His holiness. That our tears would flow at a consideration of His mercy that we do not deserve. that our hearts would be overwhelmed at the suffering that he was willing to endure for your glory and for the good of those who would come to him. Lord, that we would be in awe that you have chosen us and that in all of those things we might be motivated to persevere in our faith. To boast gladly and freely to all who would hear and all who would not hear. For we know that your truth is effective, even when we don't see it. God, work this in our hearts and our mind. Implant it deep within our souls in a way that we just can't shake. Lord, may we follow you wholeheartedly every day of our lives with our eyes turned upon Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.